hello, one and all. It's time for the 7th Avenue Project. I'm your host, Robert Holly. And today I got three words for you. Asshole, asshole, asshole. Okay, technically one word, but a word so nice, why not say it thrice? I mean, nice in the sense of extremely useful, perfect for so many occasions. And yet for all that utility, so underappreciated. You know what, uh, James Lipton, the bearded host of Inside the Actor's Studio, when he has the actors name their favorite swear word, none of them ever says asshole. And who among us even pauses to consider its history or its essential place in the American vocabulary? Nah, we just like to say it. Asshole, asshole, asshole. Well, now in Jeffrey Nunberg, the guy we just heard there, asshole has at long last found its Johnson. I mean Samuel Johnson, the great lexicographer and man of letters. Jeff Nunberg is himself a linguist by profession, but that is just the start of it. He's really a cultural critic at heart and an adept practitioner of the exploratory essay, where a writer takes up something that might seem measly and inconsequential at first, and through sheer intellect and contemplation and lots of erudition, ultimately discovers all sorts of connections and meanings. You know, like a world in a grain of sand. Or in this case, a whole chapter of American history in a humble little cuss word. That's what Jeffrey Nunberg has done, casting a bright light where the sun don't normally shine, and coming up with a remarkable and surprising book called Ascent of the A-Word, Assholeism, the First 60 Years. Yes, asshole has an ism, one of many things that I learned from reading Jeffrey Nunberg. I dare say you too will learn some things if you keep listening, and since you are listening online, you can count yourself lucky that you'll be hearing the unexpurgated version of the show free of all those annoying bleeps that cluttered up the original radio broadcast. In fact, I think it might have been the most bleeped hour in the history of public radio. So enjoy, and uh, please excuse my language. No, I don't mean the swearing, which is totally appropriate in today's America. I mean my use in the opening question of a fancy French word for masterpiece. You see, cursing may be good, but pretentious language? Now that is offensive. Jeff, I haven't read all your books, but this may go down as your chef d'oeuvre, I'm thinking. Um, would that be something you'd be happy with or, or unhappy with? Well, sure. I mean, I'd be delighted. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, a lot of what I write are essays, and, um, you know, with an essay, you, you do collections, and, 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 and it's in the nature of the essay that none of them is a chef d'oeuvre. You know, they're all, they're all little things. But uh, this book is, a, is an attempt to do something broader with one word, to see if you take this word... Uh, and track it down. Where does it lead you? What itinerary does it take you on? And I think I've never done that. I don't know if it's a masterpiece, but 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 I've never done that at such length as with this word. And I think it's a word that, that merits that kind of consideration. Well, among the many surprises for me was that this is, in its current usage, a pretty recent term. Um, you know, I think most of our classic obscenities have long lineages, but you're saying the word asshole as a description of a jerky person is maybe 60 or so years old in common yeah, usage? Yeah, it, it, it first pops up in the slang of GIs during World War II as a, a, a term for officious or vainglorious or arrogant officers in particular. The first uh, military leader that it's applied to by both his men and his superiors was George Patton, not surprisingly. 
uh, it first appears in literature as the name of a character in literature, really, in, in um, uh, Norman Mailer's Naked and the Dead, which is his war novel that was published in 1948. And, and it really isn't until about the late 60s that it kind of works its way into everyday vocabularies. It's around the early 70s that you start to hear it in Neil Simon plays and Woody Allen movies and Dirty Harry and so on and so forth. It's then that it really enters the American idiom. So it is quite recent, yeah. How do you research uh, vernacular terms uh, in the age before all kinds of informal speech and, and writing were captured? You know, like now we can easily put together what you linguists call a corpus from all kinds of communications and really get the flavor of how actual people talk. But when you go back audio recordings and uh, any filmed interviews are going to be more formal occasions. Writing has its own sort of formal constraints. And I suspect even when people write, you know, to themselves in diaries or to their friends in letters, they're still, in a sense, editing themselves in a way that they don't when they're just shooting the breeze with each other. So how do you know what people actually said uh, more than 50 years ago? You're right. It's, it's not easy. Uh, as you go back, it gets harder and harder. For the Victorian period, it, it can be really hard. But the words do pop up even then. Uh, this is before assholes in the language. In, uh, in the records of court-martials and trials, for example, it pops up. It, it pops up in pornography. It does pop up in letters uh, uh, occasionally. Um, uh, often, if the effort with an F and then a dash or something like that. Um, by the early years of the 20th century, they're coming up more often. They do come up in letters. A lot of the first citations we have for these new vulgar words uh, appear in the letters of people like Pound and Dos Passos and Eliot and mm -hmm. so on, not because they were the first people to use them, mm -hmm. but because they were literary bad boys mm -hmm. who enjoyed using that kind of language, mm -hmm. uh, popular language, and because their letters are the only informal letter. We don't have the letters of other people who may have used the words. And they were the kinds of people who would have taken a certain pleasure in using the words. By the 1930s and 40s, you're starting to see them in print. But you're right that it's not until really the 1970s um, that, or 60s or 70s that people feel free to, to print these all over the place. One of the, the problems I had uh, when I was looking at the growth of these words, I can now with, with various tools that enable one to search through Google Books, for example, look at the increasing frequency of a number of expressions, and I, I did that a lot in this in this book. But with asshole, uh, I had the question uh, of whether the increasing frequency of the word in books reflected its increasing use, or merely the fact that publishers were increasingly more willing to let it appear in their, in their publications. Um, the way in which I resolved that was to look at two different expressions. I looked at your asshole and you asshole. But the, the first of which, of course, is, is going to be only anatomical. The second of which is going to be only in, in, in its use as an epithet or a term of abuse. And it turned out that both of them increased at about the same rate until the 1960s, and then your asshole flattened out, which suggests that this is, a, at this point, anybody who wants to use that word can, it's, it, 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 but according to publishers. But the you asshole continued to rise, which suggests that that use was actually becoming more common. It wasn't just the, the permission of publishers in, in, in evidence there. So this is a long answer to, to, to what is a really an interesting question. How do we get at this stuff? And it isn't always easy. Well, let me just tip my hat, though, to that brilliant strategy of yours to distinguish between, first of all, the anatomical use and the, uh, the slang use, you know, to describe a kind of person, but also to distinguish between the lack of censorship and uh, uh, changes in usage. That's really interesting the way you did that. 
Um, the the internet and Google Books uh, and things like that, which are all searchable, have, have been a huge gift to a guy like you, a, a guy who's interested in, I guess, that old-fashioned term, uh, philology. Yeah, I, I, I love that, and I'm glad you used that word. I love that word, and I, I want to single-handedly resurrect the <laughs> enterprise. I, we still have a lot of this kind of philology light, if you look in the pages of uh, journals like American Speech, you see papers on uh, uh, uses of ethnic slurs in rhyming slang among adolescent girls and that sort of thing, or you know, apartment house names in North Dakota. But um, the idea that looking at individual words as clues to cultural history or, or what's going on in culture, that which was the, a, a major enterprise in the intellectual life of the 19th century and early 20th century, and then yielded uh, to a more scientifically-based linguistics in which I have a, a, a deep interest. That program of philology uh, is now being resuscitated uh, by, by degrees, and in part because we have all these, these corpora, as we linguists say, available to us. There's a kind of game that people play, you can see them doing it online, where they try to scoop the OED, the Oxford English Dictionary. How far back can we find uh, antecedents to, to, to the words that appear in the, in the uh, OED? So, so for that reason, because we can look at the frequency of words and not simply their earliest, uh, earliest date of use, their earliest attestation, and learn that uh, uh, a word, for instance, like narcissism, you can date back to the, you know, the early years of the, of the 20th century, but it's really rare and used only in psychoanalytic uh, journals and so on until around 1970 when it suddenly enters everyday speech. We can find that out now. Uh, it's something we couldn't know before. So all of these tools, and I'm obviously a, a, a great fan of these, um, make it possible to do new things with, with words. Uh, although it must be a little bit frustrating um, that published work is obviously the tip of the iceberg and that below it is 90 plus percent of actual word usage in everyday speech that's lost forever in historical terms. Right. Uh, you have the dialogue in novels. You have, uh, as I say, uh, transcriptions of court proceedings. There are these records uh, from earlier ages, but the the records of oral use that, you know, we, we have dating back to the 1920s now, really, um, uh, the extensive records of how people were talking, um, that, 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 that will change the way we think about these things. It already has. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some individual <laughs> long ago who used the term asshole in this way, and it caught on. Uh, my sense is that it, it probably isn't the first person to use it who's interesting, but the second. Lots of people coin words all the time. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting is not that people coin words, but that somebody else says, you know, yeah, that's yeah. a good word. I'm going to pick that up. So the second person is, is the one, to my mind, who's really the, the, the progenitor of the word, the one who says, you know, we can use this. Uh-huh. But, I mean, I'm wondering, if, if, have linguists ever captured that primordial moment uh, when a term was coined and when it started to spread virally? I mean a vernacular term. I don't mean a you know formal term or something like that. This almost mythical kind of uh, origin event. By the media, not all right. of which are formal right. words, but right. uh, but that are informal words, and they. May, I mean, you look at a word like truthiness, for example. We sure. know exactly exactly uh, yeah. when that entered the language. Uh, with words like that, we do have a sense, and then with these other words, you get lots of people claiming, "Oh, I first used this right, in right, right. '73 and so on." <laughs> and, and the yuppie, I think, is a, is a word with about a hundred fathers, so and mothers. So. Yes. So no, it's 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 often very hard to know who first uses it, but as, and particularly with the interesting slang words, but then. The idea that there was a first user, that there was an author, yeah. uh, is really an idea from print culture. It's not so much who first uses it, but that these things emerge and are, are adopted by a group. That's what's really the, the interesting phenomenon. 
Still, I can't help wondering who first came up with this or that obscenity or vulgarism or just cool, you know, slang term. Somewhere out there are a lot of unsung heroes, I think. Right, that's true. Well, let's get back to, to asshole. And the fact that it seems to describe a particular kind of person, uh, a kind of social type, that wasn't ever really described by a single word in exactly the same way before, and for which this is still about the only term we have. I mean, we do have a few others. Douche is is big now, and I, I would say it may be replacing asshole for a certain cohort, you know, douchebag or douche, but don't you think those are about the same? It's a word I really dislike <laughs> um, and, 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 and try not to use. I think it, it, it replaces asshole in some but not all of its uses. Uh-huh. Um, there's a, a, a use of, um, of asshole, for example, to refer to somebody who's simply full of himself but not and, and obtuse, but not particularly malign. Uh, uh, the, the boss in the office, the Steve Carroll, or, or um, uh, Ricky the, Gervais. The boss in the office, the Steve Carroll or Ricky Gervais uh, character, for yeah, example, yeah. or the very first character that uh, that Mailer assigns the name to. They're not nasty people. They're not cruel. They're not. And I don't think they're douchebags. I don't think anybody would call them douchebags. They're just cluelessly self-absorbed, uh, and and that's one circumstance in which we use asshole, and I think we're less likely to use douchebag, which implies a kind of malignity or, or nasty. Uh-huh. I should say that Urban Dictionary, which is you know sort of a crowdsourced dictionary where people submit their own definitions and then they're voted up or down, the number one definition of asshole, the one getting the most votes, is your current boss. And the second most popular one is uh, a person who doesn't treat people with respect. Um, I think the second definition comes closer to your definition, yeah? It, it does. I mean, but, but the, the, the fact is that um, your current boss is interesting, and the fact that the boss in the office is, is, is a prototypical example, or that Donald Trump, you know, who is, yeah. who is, who is a boss in several senses, uh, uh, exemplify, or Steve Jobs, they tend to be people in positions of power and influence. Um, who, the sorts of people who go around saying, do you know who I am, and, and who don't themselves have any clue <laughs> who they are. Um, and who, who confuse their role or their status with their personal identity and assume that uh, that uh, their role uh, gives them rights and entitlements that they don't they don't actually have so somebody who treats others with less than respect is is not a bad story but it's only part of the story it involves a kind of obtuseness mm-hmm. you can for example be a prick uh, and treat people with less than respect but that's really different Mm-hmm. Um, the asshole tells himself a story that makes it all right and morally okay to do what he's doing. The prick doesn't care. The asshole is so full of himself that he doesn't notice what he's doing. But he's capable, and I'm, give, I'm going to use the masculine pronoun here, but he's capable of noticing, I mean, in the right circumstances. He, that's why I say obtuse, which, yeah. which always implies a kind of culpable failure to right. recognize something. One of the interesting things about this word is that we're reluctant to use it for small children. Uh, a, a five-year-old can be a, a shit. You know? I mean, I've known three-year-olds who are shits. That, that uh, innate malignity and, and, and instinct for cruelty that, that reveals itself very early in, in, in little children. But you can't be an asshole at five or even at ten, I think. You have to be old enough where you ought to know how to behave toward other people right. politely and respectfully. And it's at that point that your failure to do it becomes culpable and that you can be an asshole. And uh, it's also not appropriate to use it for acts of, of great evil. I mean, acts of inconsideration, of heedlessness, 
of boorishness, all fine. But, you know, you would not call a serial killer, a mass murderer, a Hitler, an asshole. I mean, it's too weak a term. When we get into that territory, we start going into more theologically tinged words like evil and wicked and monster, right? Right. Uh, Hannibal Lecter, for example, would be the furthest imaginable character from an asshole. Um, uh, Iago in in Othello isn't an asshole, but Malvolio uh, in Twelfth Night might be. Um, if you look at uh, at movies and the various manifestations of the asshole, he's usually a kind of comic figure, the opposing football coach or dean of students in the high school comedy. Uh, you think of the fraternity boys in uh, comedies like uh, Animal House. You think of the pretentious intellectuals uh, who run through Woody Allen movies. The genuinely evil characters really belong to another category. Mm-hmm. Have you watched Breaking Bad? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you remember the scene in which Walter White, the everyman hero slash anti-hero, runs into, uh, well, actually has this encounter with a guy who first steals his parking space, a guy in an expensive car, who gets out, flips off Walter White, uh, or the equivalent, uh, is talking loudly into a Bluetooth headset about some business deal where he screwed someone, talking proudly about it. And uh, later, they run into each other again. Uh, the guy is acting abusive towards someone else, and Walter White slips up while the guy has stopped at a filling station and gone inside and uh, rewires his car so that it explodes, his Porsche or whatever it is, BMW. Uh, and this is the classic asshole getting his due. That's right. Another turn on that is in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Which is all about David assholes. Perfect anti-asshole. <laughs> By anti-asshole, I don't mean somebody who's not an asshole, but somebody like Antimatter, who is an asshole in reaction to an asshole. And he's always uh, uh, doing something to people like that. The pig Parker uh, is, is the guy who takes up two parking spaces, <laughs> right. and cut and chat, the person who chats you up to cut into line ahead of other people and so so that's, uh, in, in a certain sense, the dynamic uh, with, with these characters. They get a, a word that's made for assholes, their comeuppance. Right. Uh, only assholes can get a comeuppance. By the time you get to somebody like Hannibal Lecter or Iago, <laughs> something more than a comeuppance is called for. Um, so defend this idea that this is really new. I mean, uh, we mentioned Malvolio. Uh, I think that... We could go back further. I mean, I think in Greek myth, Zeus was an asshole a lot of the time. Uh, maybe there are assholes in Egyptian papyri. I'm not sure of that. But am I wrong about that? Is, is this well, really a new you know, type? It's certainly one's instinct. I mean, I, when I <laughs> think about what the Greek troops, the Greek soldiers, would have been thinking about Achilles while he's sulking in his tent. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Or going badly for the Greek because somebody took his girl away. So, and they was what an asshole. Uh, and, and that's obviously an anachronism. The question is whether it's an anachronism just on the order of using a modern slang word in an ancient context, like calling uh, Mr. Darcy's house Pemberley a dope crib or something like that. In Pride or and Prejudice. Whether, uh, there's a more interesting kind of anachronism to that. And, and I think it's the latter. I really think that we can use the words in comically in describing these characters. It isn't until we really have this word that we have the concept. Now, that isn't to say that... Uh, these people weren't culpable for what they did, and there were other words for them. But we, we diagnose it differently. The movie Heels, for example, of the 1930s, uh, Zachary Scott and everything he ever played. I think Zachary Scott and Mildred Pierce and Dan Duryea often played this part. HUD, uh, Paul Newman and HUD, and uh, Kirk Douglas and the Bad. I mean, there's a whole line of great movie Heels. 
by the early 1970s, all of a sudden, those heels are being redesignated as assholes. <laughs> um, now, are men doing behaving differently toward women? Have, have, have the heels disappeared? And, and no, uh, there's a there's a line of behavior that's pretty consistent. But we think of it differently. We think of a man's responsibilities with regard to a woman differently. Of the importance of it being sensitive to a woman's needs. Uh, differently, and so we have this new diagnosis that actually drives the word "heel" almost out of the English lexicon. It's still used uh, uh, for, for, the, for the villains in, in, in pro wrestling, but but otherwise, uh, it's just been replaced by pretty much by asshole in, in that use of the word. So, I think in that sense, it isn't that these that these men are new or that the the, the offenses are new, uh, but uh, we really think of them differently. And, and in that sense, there weren't assholes before there was the word asshole. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Every age creates a particular social offender that makes it a collective preoccupation, and the asshole is our preoccupation of our age. Um, well, one thing that you point out is that, that that the use of the term and the dramas you know that play out in our stories where assholes get their comeuppance is all about uh, the less powerful taking down the more powerful, or those who at least see themselves as you know entitled and privileged and so on. So asshole is a is a word that's used from below to take people down a peg or take the piss out of them, as the English would say. Absolutely, and I think that's an important difference. The men who uh, in the 19th century behaved badly toward women were cads or bounders. <laughs> uh, those men, were they around today, would, would be called assholes. What's the difference? Well, the difference is that cad looks from above. It, 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 it says of somebody, he's less than a gentleman like us. It right, takes the right. point of view of the gentleman. He's not really uh, a gentleman. He, he just seems to be. Uh, the, the, with asshole, as you say, we look from, from below. It's we're the ordinary, regular folks. We're looking at these people who have gotten above themselves, who think they're better than we are. Asshole has also the effect of creating solidarity with the people you're talking to, not obviously the person you use the word of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Given that it's a word, in a sense, that, that comes out of an egalitarian impulse and the desire to uh, upbraid people who violate, you know, a sense of equality, um, I can see why it would be very American, but I'm, I'm surprised that the English, with their obsession with, uh, you know, class differences, that the English didn't invent this word, or a word like it. Well, the English do vulgarity quite differently from the way we do it. It's surprisingly differently. I mean, they, they think of vulgar words in a different way. I was talking to an English friend the other day. He says, you know, there's no word including asshole, including uh, whatever, that you cannot uh, use affectionately in, uh, in British English. Um, we might use jerk, you know, you big jerk, can't you see I'm crazy about you, something like that. But, but people don't use asshole affectionately, by and large. No. Um, the British do, and they have a very different attitude about this language. That's the first thing. The second thing um, is that they have a vocabulary that, that covers a lot of this ground and have adopted uh, the American asshole or oh, yeah. uh, arsehole. <laughs> I had an exchange with a truck driver in London in which the word figured on both sides. Let me, let me, let me put it that way, not very long ago. But uh, it, it isn't so much the word itself uh, as the message it sends. And, and there, I think, there are words on the, on the British side. There's wanker, there's git, there's tosser, there's, uh, um, uh, there's asshole itself. And there are other words that do this work for them. It surprises me that there is no exact equivalent in uh, British English, but also... Yiddish, which is so good at uh, demarcating annoying or abrasive sort of social encounters and types, or am I wrong? Is there one in Yiddish? You think a putz or something? 
You know, I, I don't know Yiddish well enough to, uh, to know that. There are words in uh, in Italian and Spanish and German that do this work fairly closely. Italians, uh, the Italians have a word, stronzo, uh, which is literally a turd. And, you know, I was talking to an Italian, uh, Italian woman who was a student uh, not long ago, and we went through a lot of cases, and, and you know, we decided that 95% of the time, if you, if, you, if you thought somebody was a stronzo, you could call them an asshole. Uh-huh. If you thought he was an asshole, you could call him a stronzo. So they're, they're, they're quite close. And, and like asshole, stronzo is a recent word, uh, and a word derived from a vulgar name of something small and foul and so on, a turd, not, not the anus, but... But the principle is the same. In Latin American Spanish, pendejo, uh, which is a pubic hair, uh, has this, this use. In, in German, they use asloch, which is, which is like the English um, uh, asshole. And again, is a, is a fairly recent word, a little older than asshole. But, uh, the, so these words have been are, are around in other languages. But even if there isn't an exact word, I think in the languages of developed countries that have recent history, something like ours, I don't want to say this is universal, you'll find, you'll find a word that does this work nowadays. You wouldn't have found it 100 years ago. Uh-huh. You say it's no coincidence that it's a, um, a word that's considered indecent, that the perfect word for this function is a vulgarism or a profanity. I know there's distinctions between vulgarity and profanity and obscenity, but I'm going to use them interchangeably. You say, um, asshole doesn't just happen to have no respectable synonym. There couldn't be such a word. Right. It isn't an accident um, that when we look for a new word to replace heel, to replace cat, to replace phony, at least as Holden Caulfield used in the obsessive way that Holden Caulfield and Allen Ginsberg used the word, we go to a vulgar word. It's, it's a process that's going on over the course of the early and mid-20th century in English for the first time where the obscene names of body parts and activities and so on and so forth uh, become the, 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 the basis for deriving new words, and this really is a new word, uh, for social offenses and, and uh, other things that, um, that, that in themselves have nothing inherently obscene about them. I mean, when I call Donald Trump an asshole, I'm not saying anything about his personality or his character that I couldn't say on the op-ed page in the New York Times, provided I put it a little more decorously mm-hmm. than that. Um, so it's not an accident that these words are all coined out of that material. And it, it, that has various effects. In the first place, to use an obscene word or a, or a vulgar word or a forbidden word, really a taboo word, a bad word, uh, is to demonstrate, uh, and not simply to say, that your anger has reached the point where it overcomes the ordinary inhibitions that we all have about using this language. Or it's to say to the person you're directing it to, you know, you are so insignificant and uh, uh, so beyond the pale that I don't feel any obligation to, to show you the respect that I normally would by, by avoiding language like this. Mm-hmm. Or it's a way, sometimes at the same time, of saying to somebody uh, on, on your side, uh, that person is... Well, think, think, for example, of, of the situation where uh, a woman friend of yours says, you know, I just discovered my... Husbands having an affair with the uh, the babysitter, and they're running off, and so on and so forth. Now, you're in those circumstances not simply permitted to say what an asshole. You're obliged to say what an <laughs> asshole. That's what you have to say. You can't say what a rotter, what a cat. All of that follows from the vulgarity of the word, uh, among other things. And uh, that's why the the word has to be vulgar. A, a word that did the same work but wasn't vulgar. Goober, for example, couldn't have all those. <laughs> or some high flown word. You know, I mean. Vulgar literally means what, Jeff? Well, vulgar originally is, is the, 
the name for the, the, the ordinary people. Ordinary the people. The mob. Right. And in the 19th century, vulgarity is a very a much more widely applied notion of vulgar. A chair is vulgar. Some wallpaper is vulgar. An expression is vulgar, not a dirty word, just a, an expression that refined people don't use. If you call your sitting room the parlor, I think that's considered vulgar. Uh, so this language is just one of the many ways in which you can betray the fact that you're not of the right class. Exactly, uh, and, exactly. Of course, we still use the word that way sometimes, but really it shrinks in the 20th century to to certain expressions that are taboo because they have obscene origins. But they're obscene and they're tasteless and they're unseemly because they originated in the lower classes, you know, among the peasantry. Uh, and by choosing to use those, whatever class we belong to, by the way, anybody can call anybody an asshole. A rich person can use the word too. But by doing that, you align yourself with the ordinary folk, right? Right. You, you make you, you turn yourself, you're ordinary, regular guys like us. It's about <laughs> authenticity. Uh, and right. in the, the late uh, 20th, early 21st century, Anybody can lay claim to that. Uh, George W. Bush, uh, the Yale and uh, Yale and Harvard-educated son of an American president, uh, can claim to be just a regular guy and turn to Dick Cheney uh, at a rally in 2000 uh, during the campaign and say of Adam Clymer, the Times reporter, uh, there goes Adam Clymer, a major league asshole, and Cheney can chuckle and say, yeah, big time. Um, and the idea there is that you and I are regular guys, and here's mm -hmm. this snooty Times reporter. Now, mm -hmm. it's a little strange mm -hmm. uh, for, for Bush to use it that way. The idea that you and I, Dick Cheney, are regular folk, <laughs> and he's a uh, highfalutin, uh, snooty uh, elite, is a little odd coming from a presidential candidate with, with his social background. Uh, and, and I think that's what, what was troubling about it, not, not the fact that he simply used a vulgar word. But this is a function of cuss words in general, that they show us to be salt-of-the-earth people. Uh, those of us who are using them in a conversation together are bound together by collectively violating, you know, all those rules and mores of the upper crust, right? We're not like them. Right, and, and uh, we still talk about swearing like a truck driver, swearing like a stevedore, even people who have no idea what a stevedore <laughs> is. Swear, uh, swearing like a trooper, uh, swearing like a sailor, and so on. That's, that's, that's the model of this, even though everybody uses this language uh, from, from the bottom to the top. And in fact, the people who are most uh, reluctant to use the language tend to be not the people at the top or even the upper middle class, but sort of middle or lower middle class people uh, from, from certain kinds of, uh, of social backgrounds who have uh, qualms about this sort of thing. You and I um, talked in an interview, I'm guessing around six or seven years ago, and at the time we did talk a little bit about swear words and the fact that you were watching HBO's Deadwood series, that the Western, which was laced with very modern examples of the F word being thrown around in every which way, you know, as an intensifier and as an adjective and as an interjection and so on. And you were saying that really wasn't authentic. In those days it was used to refer literally to sexual intercourse and not as an all-purpose sort of swear word. Um, is it your thinking that, you know, in the 20th century, Cusson branched out and, and broadened precisely for the reasons we're talking about, that it became a way of, you know, socially bonding with each other, a, a way of di distinguishing ourselves from the supposed elites out there? When you listen to a show like Deadwood, it was, it was strange because that wasn't the way they talked. Um, the people uh, in the 19th century, in that period, used uh, what are in the technical sense profanities, that is to say, religious language that's exported to low contexts, uh, to where, where, where it doesn't belong, damn and hell and goddamn and Jesus and so on. 
Uh, or they used uh, the, the denatured profanities uh, that we now associate with a, with a character like um, uh, Yosemite Sam, you know, Tarnation and uh, Galdarn and so on. And actually those characters would have talked like that. Now had David Miltz, the, the creator of Deadwood, had his characters talking in that way, it would have made the whole thing sound ridiculous. It's quite <laughs> appropriate to modernize the language so, that the, so as to, to retain the, the, the genuine feeling of... of shock that the language uh, uh, induced at the period. But in those days, uh, that language was shocking, not so much because it was uh, blasphemous. You don't really get blasphemy in, in English, or in the, in the Elizabethan period you do, but after that you really don't, in the way that you still do in Catholic countries. Um, rather, it was taking down the, uh, taking the piss out of, as you say, the uh, pious, uh, Victorian bourgeoisie, uh, and and it was about class at that time too. And when the inhibitions on using this kind of language and the piety uh, began to uh, to dissipate around the uh, end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, for the middle class, then the soldiers and sailors and so on had to go elsewhere for, for their obscenities or for, for for their swear words. So the uh, broadening uh, of obscenity and the broadening use of them. Was part of though this class mechanism that you're talking about with regard to asshole also true? Well, it, it continued the mechanism because the words like damn. But remember that uh, David Selznick had to pay five thousand dollars fine to a, for the right to allow Clark Gable to say, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn in the uh, the wow. final scene of of wow, uh, Gone for the true. Wind. Yeah, uh, even as late as that, that language still uh, was 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 charged. Uh, but the less charged that language was, the more people had to go elsewhere for their for their obscenities, for the for the words that would do do the work of shocking, and they went naturally to these words for uh, for sex in the body. So, would you say that um, we all in society conspire to keep these words a little bit uh, dangerous, frowned upon, restricted because they're so useful? I mean, uh, is that why I have to bleep these words, for instance, despite the fact that everybody uses them? Just right, about and you're everybody. doing the Lord's work. When you do that. <laughs> there, there's this point of view. You get it from D.H. Lawrence. You got it from uh, George Carlin. You got it from Lenny Bruce and so on. Well, it's just because we have dirty minds that these words are dirty. And if we could dispel our bourgeois hang-ups about sex, then we'd be able to use the F word and so on and so forth without any uh, problems. Well, if, we, if that were the case, um, then we wouldn't have inhibitions to overcome, to violate when we really get angry. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the point is that these are principles we learn very young. That when we're five years old, uh, we learn to take a salacious pleasure in saying a word like shampoo. <laughs> uh, because we know there's something naughty about those syllables, and this gives us a pretext for saying it. And the fact that these are naughty words, and, and, and I think naughty is the right word because they... The sense of transgression here is one you learn when you're four before you acquire any more complex moral concepts. Just the fact that we have these naughty words means that we can use them to express our anger and indignation and sometimes our pleasure. When I was young, uh, not hearing my parents use the most extreme obscenities like fuck, uh, but hearing my peers use them, I assumed that my generation had invented all these words. Uh, I don't have that exact experience with regard to these words, but I remember saying to my dad when I was about nine years old, Dad, have you noticed that there are a lot of dirty jokes going around lately? <laughs> <laughs> so there is this sense that the world, you know, the, the, the world is new and, and newer every day. Um, back to assholeism. We mentioned before that it does include, it implies, a level of self-awareness that the person is not 
one of these more antiquated categories of, of malefactor, you know, who, who are not redeemable, but that the asshole should know better and doesn't, but could. Um, and you did some really interesting sort of lexical research mapping the rise in the use of asshole uh, corresponding to the rise in sort of psychological terms uh, in the later 20th century, you know, after Freud had made huge inroads into, into popular culture. So words like narcissism... That sense of entitlement is one of those terms that uh, that comes in then. Uh, yeah, words that signal a kind of um, therapeutic orientation, an idea that we, we can know ourselves and should be working on ourselves. Uh, yeah, I, I think the interesting thing about it, as I say, it comes in around 1970, which is when all these self-discovery movements like Erica and Est and so on and so forth become popular. It also corresponds, as I said, with a rise of feminism, with a rise of a certain kind of cultural politics. A lot of things are going on. But in particular, there's a, a psychological turn, um, which, for example, Est is, is an extreme example of, but I pick Est because they made asshole almost a term of art. You would go in there and sit in a chair and be harangued for, for seven hours without being allowed to go to the bathroom by somebody who kept calling you assholes, 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 assholes. Um, that move toward the psychological is also implicit in the word asshole. The difference between an asshole and a heel, say. Take the heel in, in a movie like Pal Joe or Your Hut. Does he have any inner life? No, he's just a heel. He, he's a heel because of what he does. And we don't really ask what's, what's going on behind that. Is he troubled? Is he obtuse? Is he, is he pathetic? When you go to the asshole, he is pathetic. He's disturbed. He's pathological. He's not acknowledging what's going on around him. And so he must be desperately unhappy. We are assumptions that assholes are unhappy. Uh, heels we don't know and we don't think about. We don't really care if they're unhappy or not. That's, they don't have an inner life that we're interested in. Um, so I think the turn to asshole, uh, along with uh, the rise of terms like narcissism, reflects that shift. And in fact, narcissism and asshole go go hand in hand. They're like the dark and light twins of this, of this, uh, uh, of this moment. But uh, that sense of a psychological characterization of the offense and of the roots of the offense is, is a very modern one uh, and, and not one that people had before, before that period. And also modern, our fascination with them, our negative glorification of them. Uh, your book cover is a kind of... Uh, well, I was going to say rogues gallery, but asshole gallery. Uh, images of Donald Trump, Norman Mailer, Mel Gibson, John Edwards, Sarah Palin, one of the few females on the list, Michael Moore, Gene Simmons of Kiss, Steve Jobs, uh, General George S. Patton, Bill O'Reilly. Um, and, and I should say that behind the, the black uh, stripe across the book is, 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 is me. Oh, it's you? <laughs> I didn't notice that. No, no, you can't. I mean, it's just a tie, but, but it's me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I felt it was only right. <laughs> uh, but major public figures, public figures with whom a lot of people are fascinated, and you know, who all of whom I think have done well in life monetarily, right? Um, yeah, they're all uh, celebrities. We're celebrating assholes. Well, yeah. At the uh, when, when I was thinking about this, uh, I went to um, uh, Barbara Walters' list of the ten most fascinating people she does every year, and, and six of them were were assholes. It was Trump and Powell and Herman Cain, the Kardashians, Steve Jobs, and, and, and so on. And then, then I went and looked at, at at earlier years, and you know, four to six is about right. Rush Limbaugh, Tiger Woods, Tom Cruise, Karl Rove. So we have a fascination. Uh, with these people, sometimes they they delight us by horrifying us. Um, uh, you think of a character like um, 
Mel Gibson uh, with his with his anti-Semitic rant. Sometimes uh, they they just fascinate us. Uh, Jobs, for example, is a fascinating character, clearly an asshole, and something more perhaps. Um, and had he not been an asshole, would still have been an important figure. But Walter Isaacson's biography would not have been on the bestseller list a year after it it, it, it first appears. So in one domain after another, business, celebrities, politics, and so on, we have a fascination with these with with this character in the same way that the people in the Victorian age had a fascination with cats and bounders, and and as I said, uh, people like. Um, Holden Caulfield and uh, uh, Allen Ginsberg had a fascination with the phony, <laughs> another character who's who's been nudged aside by by the asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to acknowledge that your list of first-rate assholes may not be the same as other people's, so some might not like the fact that you included some of those folks on the list. Although I think Donald Trump maybe comes as close as one possibly could to asshole by universal acclaim. I think that's right. Some of these characters, and uh, Leona Helmsley, uh, certainly an asshole, uh, Gingrich, it's hard to argue otherwise. Um, some of these characters I put there, Mailer, for example, may have been an asshole in his personal life. A lot of people would say that, but I put him there because he had, was the first to create a character whom he designated an asshole. Tom Cruise, again, may or may not be an asshole in his personal life. I put him there in his Top Gun regalia because he's always playing this character mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in Top Gun, in War of the Worlds, in Rain Man, and so on, uh, in, in Jerry Maguire, who's an utter jerk and then has a moment of self-discovery or self-revelation and becomes, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's the character, the progenitor of whom is Mr. Darcy in, in Pride and Prejudice. Right. I also think that with some of these characters, like Trump, people respect them or are interested in them, even though they're assholes. When you look at what people were saying about Trump during that brief period in uh, uh, 2011, I think, when he was actually leading the Republican polls before he even declared a candidacy or failed to declare it, uh, they would say, yeah, I know he's an asshole, but he's our asshole. He's just the asshole we need to take it to Obama. Uh, so there, there wasn't genuinely a feeling that he was maligned by calling him an asshole. On the contrary, that's exactly what we wanted was an asshole because those guys are assholes and we want to be assholes back at them. A proud card-carrying asshole. Um, you say that the right is better at producing assholes uh, than is the left. Examples, you know, being Rush Limbaugh and Ann Coulter, whose modus operandi, you say, is really being a provocateur, you know, defending the other side. That's what they're really all about. That's what their assholeism consists of. It's not primarily uh, accomplishing some political or ideological goal for the world, but rather getting back at people they don't like. Yeah, as I say, I, I don't think I want to make it clear that I don't think that there are more assholes on the right than on the left. God seems to have been very even-handed in his in his distribution of these people. And I should also say that it's important to realize one reason I talk about assholeism rather than than just assholes is that this is something we're all capable of in to varying degrees, and we don't want to think of these as a, as a race apart. But that said, I think what the right has been successful at doing is creating formats uh, in which uh, this plays a certain almost dramatic role as a kind of uh, as a kind of drama that people enact, where you depict the other person as an asshole. And in this case. Uh, the uptight, uh, self-important, elite, snooty, out-of-touch East Coast or Hollywood or Bay Area liberal. And that, in turn, entitles you to be an asshole in return. The, the, the model of this, I say, as I say, is Dirty Harry, who is surrounded by assholes, the, the superiors, the media, the 
representatives of what they used to call the minority community, uh, the police psychologist, uh, the sociopaths that he's, uh, he's tracking and rounding up. They're all assholes. And that licenses him uh, to be an asshole in return, to stick a, a hood's uh, head in a toilet and flush it, to throttle a, a, a prostitute, all sorts of things that John Wayne would never be allowed to do and would never allow himself to have done in a movie. Uh, that's the principle that underlies this political game. And it's important to realize that there's a pleasure, whether we're watching a Dirty Harry movie or Animal House or Fox News, in watching people behave like assholes toward people whom we clearly consider to be assholes. By the way, I was going to uh, make it clear that you were not biased toward the left in saying that the right does a better job. You make a, a clear distinction. You say the, the left is simply not united enough, not organized enough, to produce you know, good channels for assholes. And you have a wonderful little typology of the, um, the many flavors of leftism out there. You say, there's what E.J. Dion calls the aesthetic radicalism of the academic left, whose doctrinal purity precludes direct engagement with either politics or the English language. There's the sanctimoniousness of the Pacifica radio progressives that I feel descending on me whenever I cross the Bay Bridge to Berkeley. There's the condescending wonkery of the think tank progressives. There's the preciosity of the Portlandia vegan hipsters and the dogged parochialism of the multiculturalists, which Todd Gitlin summed up in the title of a chapter of The Twilight of Common Dreams, a book by Todd Gitlin, I'll insert here, quote, marching on the English department while the right took the White House. There's the fastidious even-handedness of the so-called liberal media, in Eric Alterman's phrase. NPR would not be referring to American waterboarding of suspected terrorists as torture, their ombudsman explained, to avoid taking sides and using loaded language in a contentious debate, unquote, though she conceded that they might permit the use of the T-word if Americans were being waterboarded by Iranians. All right. So that's the reason why the left just doesn't have as good assholes. So I, I'm searching uh, the left side of the spectrum for provocateurs, you know, like Ann Coulter. And I'm thinking of her friend Bill Maher, who, you know, says things almost as inflammatory uh, from his perspective. But he's a comedian. Does that get him off the hook? In, 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 in part, it does. I mean, because you're asked to evaluate what he says as comedy. Now, it doesn't entirely get him off the hook. I mean, he can say some pretty asshole things. And it, it, the question is, are you taking pleasure in this because it's funny? Mm-hmm. Or because you, you imagine how it sounds to somebody on the other side? And, and I think with the right-wing figures, you, it tends to be the latter. They tend to imagine that liberals are listening in to every, to every Fox show uh, and that they're just getting apoplectic. Uh, and I think you, you have less of that feeling with Marr. You don't have that feeling at all with Jon Stewart. Uh, Stewart can be a, a, a jerk, you know, and, and deliberately a jerk to people. But you don't have the feeling that the pleasure here uh, consists in imagining how angry Bill O'Reilly's getting at the things that Stewart is saying. So I think that particular dynamic, uh, where, where your, your, your pleasure consists in imagining how angry it makes the other side, I identify it with, uh, with the way Freud defines smut. Uh, for Freud, smut was the, what, what happened when uh, the guys in a tavern would start to make blue and salacious jokes when the barmaid uh, walked into the room and enjoy her discomfort. Uh, but, but then we're able to say, oh, it's only a joke. Can't you take a joke the way Ann Coulter does? Uh, so I think that's the point. Is there a barmaid there? Are you, are you taking pleasure in somebody else's discomfort at, at what's being said? Um, 
a lot of American politics has that quality of almost a, a you know intramural fight, a family feud or something, where all politics, policy, international affairs are subordinate to just sort of getting under the skin of your domestic adversaries. I mean, I feel like people are acting out old high school beefs or something a lot of the time. Yeah, I think that's that's very well put. Uh, the the and particularly the, the high school beefs. Uh, you know, the, you see these T-shirts offend a liberal or offend a conservative, and then they they, they can start either way and then use truth and logic. Uh, the idea being that the other side will be offended, that, that your object is to offend the other side. You see these T-shirts that say, uh, "I'd rather be waterboarding." Um, the idea being that uh, the, uh, the, the, the the stereotypical humorless uptight liberal will be uh, indignant at, at that message, and again, the object of a lot of political discourse is simply to uh, take pleasure at the annoyance that you imagine you're engendering in in the other side. Again, more on the right than on on the on the left, but but it happens on the left as well. Though I think uh, you know complaints about declining civility, as you point out, have been with us for millennia. It seems as though every generation thinks that uh, manners have gone to hell, right? You do think, though, that uh, assholeism, as you define it, where people are trying to offend each other, is kind of damaging to the, quote, social fabric. Yes, I do. I, I think that we are no more uncivil in absolute terms than people were in the age of FDR or Lincoln or Jackson or Jefferson. And some of the historians make this very clear. They were saying much nastier things in certain ways than, than what they're saying now. But it's a form of political entertainment uh, that's kind of dislodged from its, its roots in, in serious questions of policy. The business is really selling soap. I mean, this is the first age in which you can uh, turn on your radio or television at any hour of the day or night and, and listen to several hours of uh, a political uh, invective. So uh, I think that that form of discourse uh, has has made it very difficult even to have conversations. One of the most uncivil and assholistic domains of American public life is the discussions of civility and incivility. When the second people start to talk about the incivility of the other side, they slip into this this, this exaggerated assholeism. Well, so should I count you, though, as ambivalent about uh, the word itself? I mean, seeing that it has a real function, that it has real power, that it actually does delineate all kinds of fascinating social relations that are particularly modern. But on the other hand, assholeism has uh, coarsened us <laughs> and distracted us, maybe. Problem is this: people talk about the decline of civility, the rising tide of incivility. Incivility, interestingly, is a word that really was not used in this way till around 1970. About the same time, asshole enters the general American lexicon. They're 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 also twins. Those two words. And uh, I think what people have to understand is that it's not the result of a decline of values or the the church or the family or the schools or whatever failing in their duty. The urge to uh, behave uncivilly towards somebody in public discourse very often has at its, at its root a kind of righteous indignation, a sense that these guys are such jerks, such assholes, that they deserve no more than to be treated in this way, that uh, this guy who's standing up in front of Congress and lying about his uh, uh, health care program uh, should be bearded. You should stand up and say you lie, and, uh, and the guy who says you lie uh, should be rewarded with uh, with uh, extensive uh, campaign contributions, <laughs> oh, and it's not because of 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 of, of an immorality arising. Immorality. It's rather a displaced sense of morality because 
that's the same urge that has you giving the finger to, to somebody who cuts you off in the left turn lane and who has it coming. It's the displacement of that, that feeling from private life to public life, I think, that, that creates the problems for us. And it's really the blurring of that boundary. Mm. Your book is titled Ascent of the A-Word, Assholeism, The First 60 Years, implying that it's got a ways to go yet. Um, but can you foresee a social reconfiguration, a realignment that would make assholeism or the use of asshole, the way we've come to use it, obsolete? Well, the word scarcely matters. Uh, the word for me is just a, a, a window on what's going on in, in, in the culture. Um, can I foresee that things will change? How could they not change? Can I see them changing as a result of any concerted efforts of, of the sort that people propose to restore civility to public life? Let's have a foundation. Let's have conferences. Let's endow chairs. Let's, uh, uh, let's sit together in, in church basements uh, uh, having frank exchange of views. No, this stuff runs very deep in the culture, and that's the point I've, I've tried to make. And it's something you understand if you look at the word asshole, which is a true expression of what's going on with us, and not these words like civility and incivility, which live their lives out on, on op-ed pages, which nobody ever learned at the family dinner table. Um, so in that sense, I think these are deep problems. And I think in public life, they, they may in fact not last that long. I think one of the lessons of this last election is that the self-indulgent assholism of the Republican base uh, that was completely on exhibit during the primary season and those, those absurd debates uh, that, that played like Fox News uh, uh, programs, um, that showed itself to be not very conducive toward uh, a wider electoral uh, triumph. Now, it's not clear that the Republicans will learn that lesson. and It's not clear how, how, how that will finally happen, but it will happen. The imbalance uh, is not going to last, and those, those attitudes, I think, may be discredited. If we're, we're trying to be uh, prophetic and, and predict maybe a new kind of social offender, um, the one that may have emerged uh, in the last 20 years of our digital age is the troll. You know, just the other day I was sitting around with a bunch of um, students at the School of Information at Berkeley where we are concerned about the way in which technology uh, interacts with uh, cultural and political and economic and other kinds of social phenomena. And uh, we were talking about trolls, and it struck me that the troll really, had I written this book again, the troll would be at its, at it, at it, at it, at its focus, that the, the troll is the character who, more than anything else, represents uh, the sensibility of, of, of assholism and, and the, the characteristic uh, social problems of the age. He's, he's a character who couldn't have existed uh, except in the most marginal way 150 years ago when the only places you had if you wanted to uh, express yourself anonymously uh, about some political uh, subject were, 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 the, were the walls of public bathrooms. <laughs> so uh, so I, I think you're right. I think the troll and the sock puppet and all the other offenders of, uh, of digital discourse really represent a, a, a new type of problem. And, and moreover, one in which the the problems of public discourse, the, the the sort that's enacted over broadcast and print and so on, now begin to to trickle into something between public and private life. Mm. Maybe your next book? Well, no, not the next book, but the, but the troll deserves more attention than, <laughs> than he or she has gotten. <laughs> well, Jeff, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. This was really great. I'd forgotten how much fun it is to talk to you, so um, thank you. Jeffrey Nunberg is an adjunct full professor at UC Berkeley's School of Information. 
His latest book is Ascent of the A-Word, Assholism, the First 60 Years. You've been listening to The 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly, your host. I'll be back next week. You can always listen online to past shows and learn more at our website at 7thAvenueProject.com. Or you can find us on iTunes. Some people try to pick up girls and get called assholes. It's never happened to Pablo Picasso. He could walk down your street. Girls could not resist the stare. And so Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole. Never got called an asshole